I think that fear, I see people sitting on that ledge of fear a lot. Like if I change, is my partner going to change? And it's like, we don't know. I don't think we know. I don't think we know what's going to happen. But I think inevitably some change, things are going to be different in some way. Like it's worth it to try and see, you know, to do the work, at least for yourself. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. What makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy? Is conflict good or bad? What is couples counseling? How can people repair connection after an argument? In this interview, we explore these questions and more with Dr. Lisa Bunning. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. We are talking today about relationships, and that is such a huge topic. Relationships are in many ways, like the foundation of our lives. And I just want to acknowledge that I don't expect you to talk about everything that's related to relationships, but we will be talking specifically about what you have seen in some of your work with students who are seeking counseling for something in their relationships that isn't working. And specifically, I know that you are passionate about couples counseling, which is a type of counseling where, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit just about what couples counseling is for students who may not be familiar with that term. Sure. Couples come in when their relationship is in some distress. They come in when communication is not going well, when they are not understanding one another, when they have hit an impasse of some kind, that they're not sure how to get past. And what I'm always, I'm always struck by when couples call, first of all, how hard it is to make that call to say, I think we're at an impasse, to say, I don't know that we can do this on our own. And then the vulnerability to come in because we tend to be our most vulnerable in relationship. So whenever any couple comes in to talk about that, it's always such an honor for me to think they're gonna bring that into the room with me. We're gonna look at it together. But yeah, it's communication issues, it's differences in values, differences in desires in in life, differences in behavior, and how to navigate that in romantic partnership. You use this word impasse. What does an impasse mean? Yeah. So when I say impasse, I mean that point in relationship where you're kind of at this place of like, I don't know what else to try. I don't know what else to do to have you hear me, or I don't know what else to do to please you, or I don't know what else to do to have this relationship feel like it did in the beginning. Because a lot of times relationships start off with lots of synchronicity and lots of excitement and, and, and all of that. And then when things settle down a little bit, you can hit this point where maybe things don't feel as good and each partner may feel in their own way unhappy or and not sure how to how to feel good again if you will what about conflict like how often is conflict part of what brings people in to talk about their relationships yeah i think conflict is a big a big reason why couples come in 
And I think a lot of couples are really frightened by conflict. It can signify to some, uh, it's different for everybody, but it can signify to some that there's something wrong. You know, the fact that we're having conflict, there's something wrong with our relationship, there's something wrong with us, we have to fix this. And it can be very frightening. And that's that's the part that I just hold so dear about couples' work is that each partner is bringing their best strategy for dealing with conflict into the relationship. You know, sometimes those interreact in a way that sort of makes each partner feel worse. And that, again, leads to that impasse of like, I'm bringing my best strategies here for connection and how do I connect with you? And, and um, so when conflict comes up and there's a disconnection or people are not feeling understood or safe, that can often be a reason they come in for counseling. And I think also what I was talking to you, one of the things, so I've been doing some extra training in emotionally focused therapy, which is Sue Johnson's work. And she talks a lot about conflict and that it's not having conflict that is a signifier that anything's wrong in a relationship. It's how you repair So oftentimes that's what I'm working on with couples that come to see me is how do you repair because there's going to be conflict. And so that was a very freeing concept to me, even in my own relationships. So a healthy relationship is not necessarily one that's free of conflict. Right. And I was thinking a really simple way that I have thought about conflict is just conflict arises naturally when one person in the relationship or both have an unmet need. Yes. Yes. And and it's impossible in any kind of long-term relationship, whether it's a friendship or a partnership, or even maybe with a family member that we're always going to understand and meet each other's needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think sometimes folks have those expectations. They want to please, you know, they want to have meet the needs or people come in wanting their needs to be met and thinking in that exciting initial phase, you're the one that's going to do that for me. You're going to meet all my needs. And, and then when you discover, oh my gosh, you're not meeting my needs. That can be very distressing. And yet, like you said, you know, we can't, we can't know unless we talk about it. And then that's that working through phase. Yeah. But it's very threatening, I think. Yeah. So if conflict in relationships is inevitable at times mm-hmm. and not a sign that the relationship is necessarily in trouble, if conflict could be okay, how do we get better at it? How do we learn how to make it useful? Why are we so afraid of it? Mm, that's so much in that question. That's a great question. I guess the first thing that comes up for me is about what informs our our way of engaging when we're in conflict, particularly, I mean, I, I think in conflict in general, particularly in our primary romantic partnership, where we tend to be the most vulnerable, often what informs that is our family of origin and our relationships that we formed there and the strategies that we employed to feel as secure as we could in our families. So sometimes that can mean behaviors that work to reach out for connection. Some people learn to reach out for connection when they're feeling disconnected. Some people learn to shut down or numb out when they're feeling disconnection. And people don't fall in one camp or the other, although sometimes they do. But 
Um, so these styles kind of help us preserve the connections that we have in our families. And so then we, we begin to employ those in our romantic partnerships. Sometimes those strategies can be limiting. And especially if our strategies, to make this less heady, for me, in service to relationship, I often withdraw. I want to avoid conflict. I don't enjoy it. And not, not no one enjoys conflict, but I, I really have a visceral response to it. And so what I've learned is that when I do that, I essentially am I'm leaving connection, right? So I've had to learn how to soothe the parts of me that are struggling to stay in conflict to be able to be in close connection with my partner and with other folks in my life. So I think that's largely what informs our, our lived history, our families, any primary caregiver that we may have had, I think informs how we, how we connect and how we cope with conflict. When we feel a sense of safety, that feels so wonderful. That feels so wonderful to feel securely connected and safe. And when we perceive something that our partner is doing as a disconnection of some kind, or we perceive they're not paying attention to us, or they're not listening to us, or we're not pleasing them, that can create what, what Sue Johnson talks about is this uh-oh moment where our bodies respond. We go, uh-oh, there's something wrong here. Um, and we all have really different ways of coping with those uh-oh moments and those inner interact and interplay in relationship. I'm thinking about what you shared when you said in service to relationship, you will often withdraw when there's conflict. And I wasn't sure, what did you mean by that, like in service to relationship? I'm so glad you asked that. So some, so some strategies involve reaching in to be connected. So if I'm, if I'm upset with something that happens in our connection, say, Sarah, I'm going to, I'm going to say, Sarah, I feel like, I feel like uh, I haven't heard from you lately and I don't. Um, know what's going on with you, and I want to ask you about that. And so that's sort of a reaching in. My approach has been, I think something's wrong with Sarah and I, but I'm terrified to ask what it is. So I think in order to protect whatever may get lifted up in that conversation, I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm just going to hope, and it sounds so, it doesn't sound helpful as I say it. I'm going to hope that it gets better. And that is my way of protecting our connection. You know, as I, as I say it, it's like, that doesn't sound very helpful, but it's, it can be really threatening for folks that don't want to kind of reach in. And without asking you to go too much into detail, it sounds like <laughs> what you're saying, I mean, I really appreciate that. It sounds like what you're saying is that that style of avoiding and hoping that it will blow over or hoping not to bring things up and further disturb the connection yes. Yes. comes from what you learned about what happens when there's conflict and how to best navigate that in your family of origin, important long-term relationships that you've had in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was very eye-opening, I think, to look at my style and to, and also to have, I think there's a great deal of compassion. That's why I love emotionally focused therapy so much because everyone's behavior to an extent makes sense in that attachment lens. Like I, I learned, I didn't like the way conflict 
felt. And so if I, you know, I can think about times, you know, with certain parental figures and like, yeah, that was just how I coped. It was like, okay, I'm just going to sit and wait for the storm to blow over. And that was what worked for me. But then you don't really get to work through things. Then I'm just kind of waiting here, hoping that it'll get better. And so, which so, yeah. sounds kind of anxiety provoking too. Like it's anxiety provoking and scary in its own way to just kind of hide out and wait to see if things blow over. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at some point as I've, as I've gotten older and learned more, like wanting to be, you know, and I definitely think I am now more flexible and more a bit able to engage um, after doing some work on it. As you were talking about your conflict style, I was thinking about my husband and I, because our styles couldn't be more opposite from one another. I learned to go into it headlong Mm-hmm. And that has some pros and cons too. Yeah. And he definitely learned something more like what you were saying, which is like the duck and cover kind of approach. And so it makes me wonder just how often do couples like have the same conflict style or different conflict style or how do you, I don't know, how do you negotiate that when each person in the couple has a really different way of trying to approach things? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm smiling. I love that question. The couples that come to therapy, I mean, and I talk to my friends too about their relationships, but frequently we have really different styles. Like frequently each partner will have, like you said, a completely different style. And that's also what I love about the EFT model is once couples realize, for example, in in your case, Sarah, you and your husband, you are both taking the best strategies that you have for staying in connection but frequently it ends up, you know, sort of creating more unrest because, and to take it out of that context for a second, someone who is in the duck and cover, I like that, the duck and cover model. If someone, if their partner is coming to them saying, I thought you were going to clean the kitchen tonight. It really upsets me that you don't. Oh, that duck and cover just comes right up. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry, they placate sometimes. Like, I'm sorry, I just wanted this to go away. Where frequently the person who's reaching out really wants to be heard more than anything. And so that's where once couples realize, I think that they're both bringing what they know, trying best to protect the relationship in the way that they know how. For some, it's reaching out and and engaging in conversation. For some, it's the duck and cover. It eases things a little bit, I think. It's like, oh, you're doing your thing. You're, do, you're doing your duck and cover thing or you're doing your bringing up, bringing things up and you can almost be appreciative then. It's like, you know, oh, thank you for bringing that up or, you know, because I don't know that I would have or whatever. And I think after four or five years of being together, we're starting to get there. But as uh-huh. you, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking what you're describing, Lisa, involves a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness like looking at myself, my strategies, what I learned, what I've been doing for a long time. And what I'm, what I'm imagining is that a lot of times when couples first show up to counseling, how much are they thinking that what they're going to be doing is looking at themselves? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to chuckle. Um, not not that often. It's, it's really about like what they did 
this and they're doing this. And if this could just be different, then things would be better. And so. Wait, so like, so, so each person has the finger pointing at the other one. Yes. Okay. It's you. It's not me. It's you. It's not me. And if you could work on yourself and your strategies and your style, if you could, I'm trying to think of an example. So if my husband and I came to you for counseling, typically we would be coming in, like if I was the one that decided we needed it, I would be coming in saying, something's wrong with Thomas. Something's wrong with Thomas. Lisa, can you fix him? He's, he needs some counseling. I'm just here. Yes. I'm just here to help or I'm just here. Yes. Well, that, that's the extreme. Okay. That's the extreme. Okay. But, but it's that general flair of, yes, I need, I need Thomas to hear how I'm feeling. And if Thomas could hear how I'm feeling, everything would be fine. But there's all of this stuff that Thomas is experiencing when there is stuff, feelings coming up, you know, even just feelings. And I, and I will say it was very, it's been very humbling for me to do the work as I am a therapist and I can sit very easily with other people's feelings, but then only in kind of like the last five, six years, like really sitting with, oh my gosh, I have feelings and, and I have to talk about them. And so it's just, it's been so humbling, but yeah, often when couples come in, it's like, yes, if they could change, then then I wouldn't have to change. Right. Too. That's the other piece of it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have to ask for my needs to be met because they would just be met. So it sounds like there's a there's an education process almost that goes into setting the stage for couples counseling so that both people in the partnership know that that a lot of the work is reflecting on self enough to be able to communicate to your partner about what you're feeling, what you're needing, and also maybe experiment with some different ways of approaching connection and reconnection, which makes me think about this notion that you shared at first, like repair. So after there's conflict or when we're struggling, can you talk a little bit about learning how to repair the inevitable disconnections or ruptures that happen between people in intimate relationship? Definitely. Um, The uh uh-oh moment, that moment where there's an issue, something starts to feel off balance, can frequently bring up emotions like anger, frustration, fear. And then to get sort of to what the underneath part of that is, the underneath emotions tend to be a lot more tender. And I don't know if I would say, yeah, I guess I guess they, they tend to be tender, they tend to be vulnerable. So this idea of underneath underneath my my shutdown in in connection and in conflict is a fear that i am not enough so repair can often be like really walking with someone down what is behind that uh-oh response and having their partner witness that and know what's going on and so what can frequently be behind reaching out and and sort of demanding connection is a fear of not, not mattering and so when you get to these really base fears, you can really have this deep sense of connection and repair. Um, but if you just stay stuck at the reactive level, it's really difficult to do that because then we tend to stay in our heads. We tend to like look for like sort of logical solutions to problems instead of knowing that relationship is like this 
really expansive land of feelings and attachments and things like that. As I was listening to you, I'm thinking about sharing that I approach conflict head on. And I feel like that made me sound healthier than I really am because I do approach conflict head on, but I think it comes, my, my initial knee jerk response is to do it almost aggressively. Mm-hmm. And, and in addition to acknowledging the conflict, I jump to quickly to this idea of like, it's just not going to work. Like, we're just going to need to get divorced. Like, you didn't do the dishes, and so you don't really care about me, and so we need to get divorced. And that is where it takes milliseconds for me to have the initial disconnection or injury or perceived, you know, know, a way in which my need wasn't being met to kind of snowball my way into these catastrophic Yes. Ideas of what's possible. And then when, when we can, you know, my husband's just lovely and learning to even just for us to be able to laugh about it. Like sometimes that, that that there's, yeah, that underneath, like, I don't want to leave the marriage. It's not about that. It's just about this like terror that I have that it's not working. And yeah. So some, Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, Sarah. And I, um, I've had my own moments, you know, when I get to that place of it's just not working, I know that, I mean, and of course, and we chatted about this too. There's some times where it's not working, but there's also, there's also the, I'm at, I'm, I'm at a place of complete overwhelm and this is not working for me right now. I have an unmet need and I'm so overwhelmed that I want to say that it's done. And now like you were kind of slowing yourself down, I can recognize, or you, like you said, you and you and your husband could even laugh about it. Just that idea of like, that's the end of the road for you. You know, it's sort of like, I just go to this place of like, this just isn't working. And, and you can just look at that. You don't have to actually act on that or do anything with that. It's just, wow, something really big is going on for me. Yeah. And when we're able to, I, I loved you saying it's, beneath the surface of that there's a lot of tenderness and yes yeah and then it's much much easier to reconnect with one another when we show our tenderness to each other rather than like coming out with my guns blazing you know to to really in some ways like attack him for yeah things that he's not doing that I wished he would do or that he's often very oblivious to even, you know, didn't even know, didn't see, didn't see it coming. Right. Right. But then knowing, you know, if he were to ever know what fears that brought up for you or whatever, then it's just, then, yeah, you get a sense of each other and it's like, oh, it's less about whether the lawn was done or whether the shopping, whatever, it's less about the thing and more about um, Sue Johnson has this really lovely concept of like the music in the background, all in this landscape of connection. And so, yeah, there's tender stuff in there. One of the things we've talked about is that sometimes the conditions for safety and fundamental security just aren't there. Like I can think about relationships that I've had over the years before I met Thomas, where like there was something about the dynamic that just was so scary or unsafe 
that we never were able to move past Mm -hmm. that into just a more trusting, ongoing connection. Yeah. What happens when couples come to counseling or have you ever seen a couple that's come to counseling where it just was like, oh, this is too broken to be fixed Mm. or that the conditions didn't seem sufficient for for repair? Yeah, I definitely think. And well, I mean, I guess I don't I don't know that at the outset, I would say if couples come in, I mean, couples come in sometimes having just broken up or on the verge of breaking up. And so the goal of couples counseling, I like to tell folks is not to keep people together, but it's to look at some of those unmet needs and see if there can be safety and vulnerability and and all of that in the connection. And I, I think sometimes in that exploration, people like, I don't recognize for them, but people recognize for themselves, like, Oh, I don't think I feel safe here. I don't think this is going to work. And and then even couples counseling can be like, how can you end this relationship in a way that honors the both of you to the best ability? I haven't done that kind of work too much at the CWC, but I have before um, as marriages were coming apart and things like that. But um, but yeah, I do think like the safety sometimes is not there. The con- like you said, the conditions because you have to have the right conditions and then got to have two people that are ready to do the work. And like we said before, looking at themselves, not just the other person. One of the things that I think can be so hard for me as a counselor, whether I'm meeting with a student in couples counseling, or I'm just talking to them one-on-one about a relationship in their lives, which can also happen in therapy, is that I've encountered a lot of people saying, well, what if, what if I change in some way to try to get healthier or look at myself more and do this work and my partner doesn't change? What's going to happen if I'm the only one that changes? How do I know that's going to do anything? What if I go through all this work and nothing's different? Yeah, I hear, I hear that too. I can remember Years ago, when when I took the family systems class for my graduate degree, and I remember learning the idea that in systems, so in relationship, if one person changes, inevitably, the other person is called to change as well. Or I think if one person changes, and then they're not still getting what they want in the relationship, that's information for them to know whether they want to stay in that relationship or not, I think it can be a big invitation to their partner to do something different. But I don't, I think that fear, I see people sitting on that ledge of fear a lot. Like if I change, is my partner going to change? And it's like, we don't know. I don't think we know. I don't think we know what's going to happen, but I think inevitably some change, things are going to be different in some way. It's like, it's worth it to try and see, you know, to do the work, at least for yourself. Right. So if I spend this time learning about myself and reflecting and trying to develop new strategies for connecting to my partner. And I bring that to them and they are, they shut me down or just aren't receptive to trying to develop the connection. If that keeps happening, then you're saying that's information that's useful to have. 
I think so. And what you just said made me think about, like, like I said, I've been doing work on expressing, you know, becoming connected with my own emotions and talking about those and sharing those more freely. If I was in a connection where I started to do that and I was ridiculed or I, I sort of had some response that was something other than affirming, I would still be glad I did that work and made that change. Cause I know that would be with me, but I would see like, oh, I can't really share my feelings here and feel safe. And so then that would be information. And I wouldn't, that, I couldn't stay in that. <laughs> yeah, if that, if that kept happening, that would, it would be like, well, right. I'm growing and this person isn't wanting to keep up with me or grow with me. So this, yes, yes it's time to leave. Yeah. When you talked about the family systems or when one person in a system changes, it kind of forces the other people in the system to adjust or adapt or accommodate. Sometimes the initial reaction to one person changing is that there's a lot of pushback from the other person or people. Yeah. So can you say a little bit more about that? So I'm trying to think... I'm trying to think of an example that we could work with. I could think about this idea of if someone really enjoys sort of a caretaking role and there is a partner who has a lot of things that need caretaking around, whatever that is, physical illness, maybe substance use, maybe... Mental health health stuff, right? Mental health stuff, Yeah. yeah. And you've got maybe the caretaker decides, I... I can't do this anymore. This isn't uh, sustainable for me. Or maybe the partner with mental health concerns really finds a new level of sort of peace. And I don't know what that would look like exactly. If something shifts, there's less need there. That could be a difference in, that could be potentially threatening, I would think, to a caretaker who's really defined as a caretaker. And that's, that's what I do in a relationship. And so I think there might be, even though that person might eventually feel freed up and and to be able to have a connection not defined by those roles, I think initially it can feel threatening, like, will you still need me? Am I still relevant here? Something like that. And and I don't know exactly what that pushback might look like, but but I think it can definitely happen. Um, I think that is such a great example because that can also play out with college students and their parents that the relationship has been defined by the parent taking so much care of the child. And then you come to college and you're more independent and you don't need your parents all the time. And that can feel really awful and scary to your parents that, that, um, but, but do they, do they need, what, what is this relationship if they don't need me in the same way anymore? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, and I'm looking well, at you knowing you have two teenage my sons oldest, and yeah. yeah. My oldest is starting his senior year. And yeah, I, I saw this thing on Facebook the other day that I don't know if it's having, it's, I think it was having sons for moms, but I think it could be with any gender but like it's like having the longest breakup of your life or something and I just thought oh gosh it's so painful so yes I think that that change in role I love that Sarah that shows up in all kinds of ways and it's hard to change you know for the parents it's hard and 
you know, the, ind- the independent teen showing up with their new adult self. And yeah, I think that can show up in a, in a lot of ways. And how people navigate that is so important, right? Can, can those relationships change to be functioning differently with those new roles, I guess? Yeah. Well, and that, I wonder if we can connect that to something you hinted at earlier where you said, for you, one of the tender things that's underneath your avoidance or your duck and cover in conflict is the fear that you're not enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to ask you to say a little bit more about, yeah, what you've learned about yourself, like what's underneath what are the fears and feelings that are underneath some of your initial responses to conflict and disconnection? Well, I am often giving my very best to everything and relationships are at the top of the list. And so I think when they, I'm using air quotes, which you can't see in a podcast, but when they don't go well, when my relationships don't go well, I feel responsible and I feel that I've done something wrong and I feel uh, that I need to change and, and I'm scared of people leaving and, and all of these really soft places. And so I think just having, yeah, just learning to have compassion for myself in that. And yeah, that's kind of the, that's where I go to is just those, the, the, a fear place. And that you like blame yourself or feel like you've failed somehow. Oh yeah. That's a big one. That's a big one. feel like I failed. And so, you know, even just talking about that idea of my teen sons growing and leaving, it's like, I can imagine that coming up with that letting go too. I haven't fully acknowledged. I know that's coming, but yeah, it's like, have I done all that I could? And, um, and what will it feel like when they don't need me? And what does it feel like now when they don't need me? Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is just, it hurts, right? Like those are hurty kind of feelings. They're, you know, they're tender. They're like, yeah, they're like, Oh, ow, ow, ow. That's what I'm feeling as I hear you talk. It's just ow. But also there's like, love and beauty in those feelings there's like you said there's vulnerability it's like it feels ouchy because our hearts are sensitive our hearts are really tender and sensitive yes and to really be in connection what i realized and is is to is to experience the hurty feelings as you say the ouches because yes that is love and connection it's making me think about, you know, I started getting involved, more curious and involved in couples counseling um, as I was going through a divorce. And it's like, I thought I, I knew how to be in a relationship. And it was like, I had so much more to learn. And so I think it is this really, I think it takes work and effort to really kind of be in those vulnerable places, to be in the ouchy places. Well, and to not either close down, run away, retreat, or like I, you know, lash out, right? Kind of to not do either one of those things means we just have to stay and expose ourselves. Yes. And expose Uh. ourselves to someone who we're not necessarily (laughs) feeling great with right now. 
Yes. Yes. I think that I love how you say that expose ourselves. Yes. And it's, it can feel terrifying and, um, and hard. And yet I just, I felt that in my heart. I got choked up when you were talking about the love. There is a lot of love in that, which can feel really expansive, I think. So we're talking a lot about our, our inner work that we have to do to bring, bring ourselves and bring the tender stuff that's going on for us to our partner and into our relationships. What about like learning to hear your partner's feelings or your partner's stuff? <laughs> I wish you could see Lisa's face and body language right now. <laughs> Oh boy. What about hearing? Yeah, that's, that's hard. That's hard stuff. So yeah, if you imagine, so you said, you said you go into conflict headlong, right? That already makes me go, oh dear. Like if, you know, that already, just even that idea of going into conflict headlong, head on. And and just, so I think it takes a lot of work on self-soothing I, I know my style the best which well is- and I'm just gonna throw this out there I um now that we're talking about this I'm remembering we, you and I had a work conflict which we don't have to go into detail of but I came I came at you like I was really upset and I came at you hard and loud and you weren't <laughs> expecting it and it was at the end of the day and I just let you have it and that was probably really awful for you and it was probably awful of me but but like that we, you and I have had a conflict around that where our different styles were, you know, yes. came into play. So I will say it's not awful of you. I recognize that that was your distress, but yeah, that, that example of like, oh shit, I don't, I hope that's okay to say, but something's, something is off and this is bad. And the sort of how I'm processing, like, this is bad. Something's really bad. And so I think for, for myself and for people who tend to sort of withdraw or do the duck and cover model, their work and my work has to been, been around self-soothing, I think, a lot to recognize that, that what is going on for you, what you're expressing in that moment in our talk, Sarah, is not about me. I don't think I did very well at that that afternoon, but I think it takes a lot of work. And I think in our romantic partnerships, we do get to figure that out. So for withdrawers, that's what that style is called. Withdrawers, there's work on self-soothing. And then for pursuers, that's what or, that's or called. Or attackers, as I was that day. Yes. Well, in EFT, it's pursuers and okay. withdrawers. It's much and nicer. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's what I love about this model of therapy. It's like it all makes sense. There's something big going on for you, something big going on for me. And it's coming out however it's coming out. And we have to figure out what's going on to be able to hear the what's underneath. So for the pursuer, if you can imagine a withdrawer getting quiet, because they don't know what the heck to do. So for a pursuer who is pursuing for connection, that can feel like another abandonment in a way, because it's like, am I, are you hearing me? Are you, you're not even there. And so yeah. That was what was at stake for me underneath it all. Uh was like I feel like I don't matter to you. Right. Right. And but and I didn't I didn't say that, which would have been so much easier for us to connect around, right? Like I didn't start right. there. 
Right. Because then I would have said, Sarah, you absolutely matter to me. And so then we're already at the core of the issue, but there's so much, you were having an uh-oh moment, kind of like, what is going on? And, you know, we're doing your best to be in service to making it better by addressing it. That's very big of you, but, um, but like the, well, it, it sounds like there's so much, this lens that you're, that you've learned through emotionally focused therapy or EFT mm-hmm. gives you almost like a way to decode the things that happen. Like you've got a legend or something like this, when this happens, really look for, look for this instead. Where yes. you're, but in the moment, I mean, I can tell you that afternoon I felt overwhelmed and I felt like I wanted the phone call to end <laughs> because I didn't, it, it was sort of this, uh, what do I do? My friend is upset and I'm responsible. And so oftentimes it's like, I don't want to make it sound like once you learn EFT, you're going to know how to navigate every conflict. But it's like when I get out of it, I can have more compassion for myself and for you. And yeah. Well, and I think that something you said about about something big is happening for each of us in the in these moments of conflict. What what it takes me back to is my nervous system was activated. Like I was on high alert. I was feeling extremely threatened. And I was having all of those reactions in my body and tunnel vision. And I was just like, talk about fight or flight mode, right? I was on in the fight. I had perceived this feeling of maybe I don't matter to you as so personal to my, to my survival. Like, and to the, it was like a threat to what I thought I meant to you or what I thought we meant to each other. And when I was in that activated state, like all I could do was just kind of like wave my sword around at you. But there was a lot of hurt underneath that. And a lot of like, I have really major fears of abandonment that I got growing up and like deep down that's, that's what was at stake for me. It's like feeling like I don't matter and I'm being abandoned. Mm-hmm. But I did, of course, yeah, I didn't tell you that in the moment. Right. But that makes so much sense now in this moment. And I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to circle back to that conversation, actually, just in, the, in, in our talk today, because yeah, that makes sense. And in connection, we do, we do have unbridled feelings and, and big feelings come up and it's, they can feel really overwhelming. It was and like we primal. Do yes, 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 definitely. I know for me, I, I struggled with that. I always felt like I had to be composed. And so it's like this idea that I'm going to be passionate or I'm going to have big feelings was really foreign. I think that was one of the things I had to work with. And I'm hearing for you, it's like, you're looking at that moment now saying I had to wave my sword around, but I can see that what was underneath that was maybe something a little bit softer and some fear. And do I matter? Yeah. Lisa had no idea I was going to bring this up by the way, and neither did I, but as we were talking about what's an example we can work with, I thought, well, here's, here's a real one, right? Yeah. 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 I'm glad you brought it up. It's interesting because 
this gets at this idea of rupture and repair. Like I would say we absolutely had a rupture at that time in our relationship. And it's been months now, a couple of few months now, at least. And this feels repairing. Like I'm sure I'm, I know I like texted you apologies or whatever, because that's one of the consequences of my all out pursuer strategy is that I leave some collateral damage. So I know I like texted you a lot of apologies, but this feels even more reparative to revisit it now. And yeah, we had a rupture. We, I made, or we made some initial attempts to kind of patch over it or address it so we could work with each other still, but that repairs can happen over time and in deeper ways as we grow and learn more about ourselves and kind of get more of an idea of what was really going on. We, do, we don't always have the skills and tools at our disposal to do it in the moment when it's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're saying that. And yes, I think you did text me. And I'm also glad for this opportunity just to even, yeah, go deeper with it and recognize the fears that were coming up for you and um, looking at you now, like just feeling compassion and yeah, exactly. Like the opportunity to go. And and the thing is, I think in connection and relationships, these things sort of stay with us a little bit unless we do. (laughs) And so I'm pretty sure you brought this up today. So thank you because in my, (laughs) in my (laughs) withdrawer style, I would not. So thank you, Sarah. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But thank you for working with me around it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It takes takes both. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, so we had got to this place of, I mean, maybe we just modeled it a little bit or showed an example of it by talking to each other. But like when my partner's having big feelings and, and coming at me with their stuff and their, and their, um, almost like the initial raw material for my partner. How do I, what inner work do I need to do to be able to like listen at that deeper level? And I, and I heard you say, uh, so if you're a a withdrawer, then you need to learn to self-soothe enough so you can what, like stay calm and try to like hear what the other person is really saying. Like how does self-soothing help you? if you're a withdrawer and what does that sound like in your head lisa like so self-soothing sounds like well interesting it touches on a few things but it's this idea of like first of all i say to myself my partner's anger doesn't have to it's it's not about me so i say it's not about me directly this isn't about something i did i just say to myself she's angry and i need to hear that And so, and then the other piece is once I know that my partner's style is to let me know when something's going on for her, I can almost feel it like love because it tells me she wants to be closer to me. Now that is like a self-actualized version. It doesn't show up like that a lot, but sometimes I can get this sense that well, she wants to be close to me. She, she wants to work on this with me. And so, and it's coming out kind of rough right now, but maybe if I hang in, maybe that's it, Sarah. I think it's like, if I can hang in and see where we go with this, there's generally something 
that feels pretty connecting. Wow, I love you articulating that because it's, um, it's like, I do, the hanging in, like hanging in, hanging on for dear life, just like <laughs> she, she, tr she trusts me enough to share her anger with me in this moment. Right. Yeah. And maybe also like, okay, we've, we've been through this before and something good came out of it eventually. So I'm just going to try to trust that if I hang on and, and, and breathe and, and don't go into all of my withdrawal, like I'm a terrible failure stuff, exactly. then we're going to, we're going to get to some, there's going to be something in this of value. Um, exactly. And going into that failure place, you're reminding me, we talked about this too, I think before it's like, then, then it becomes about me and my performance instead of really just hearing that my partner is having a reaction, having some feelings about something. So it, it helps me, I have to work to kind of get out of that failure place. Cause that's just not helpful. Well, cause then you're um, focusing on yourself too. And you're right. not even, you're not, you're not present for the right. fact that your partner's in pain. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I just, I also want to acknowledge that you, you describe your partner as female. Mm -hmm. Okay. I did. <laughs> that is correct. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. For folks who are listening. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. What about for, what would you recommend for me as a pursuer? Like what, like when I'm upset, when I'm, I don't know, when I'm upset, when I'm hurting, how can I, how can I get better about things on my end? That's a great question. I wonder what it would be like to, I wonder what it would be like to sit with um, and what unmet need is going on. What, what is the, what is the connection that's, that's missing and, and putting it in the, in the relationship. And also I think sometimes we have really small things that set us off in relationship. Like it could be like a look or a tone or like a, maybe a, a text that wasn't responded to one time, or maybe it's like one thing that kind of gets that activated sense that you talked about going. Maybe it's like slowing things down for yourself and thinking about, okay, what is it where was it that I started to feel off balance and I started to feel like I wanted to get my sword out and kind of bang it around. And that's what comes to mind. I don't know. Does that resonate? No, that's so, that's so resonant that, yeah, okay. that, that connects a lot. Like just to try to put my finger on where did, where did I first feel that like, Oh, that's an unmet need or, Oh, that, Oh, I don't matter in the way that I want to, to this other person. Yeah. Um, they don't, they're not attentive to me or they're not showing that they care about me or that I'm important to them. Where did I first feel that? And can I just stay there without spinning off into, well, now I have to go after him and tell him he's wrong or bad or Oh, this is never going to work. Why did, I don't know why I thought I could get married in the first place. So those are my two catastrophic approaches when I when I feel like because if I because if it's true that I don't matter, then yeah, I need to get divorced, right? Like if I really don't matter to my partner, 
then it's not a healthy relationship that I shouldn't stay in it. Right. Like I learned and I, and I learned that watching, I don't know, my parents had a lot of difficulties and I come from a divorced household. There was a lot of open anger and even some like loathing of one another. And, and I think that I swore to myself from the time I was a very little girl, I would hide in the closet when my parents would be screaming at each other. And I just felt so scared. And I just swore, like, I'm never going to stay in a relationship that, you know, that's not loving, that's not good and loving. I'm never going to stay. And I think that over time, that's like, it's like a hair trigger inside of me. It takes almost nothing for me to be like, well, there it is. There's the evidence right there. Like, because the dishes aren't done or because he, he, he didn't look at me in a certain way, or he seemed a little distracted at dinner when I was talking about something that mattered to me today. Like it's, it's like, it sets it off. Yeah, it takes, it, it does. It just can be these little brushes that touch on that really tender stuff that I've yeah. been feeling since I was like a tiny, tiny little girl. Yeah. And that sounds like that was so protective for you to say, I am not going to stay if, if I'm not in a loving partnership. And that was like, that was a belief that helped you feel safe. It helped me survive. It helped me think yeah. there's going to be a time where I get to make these choices for myself and I don't feel stuck. Right. Right. And so then um, I so appreciate you sharing this, Sarah. And, and yeah, that idea of like, yeah, you may feel like you want to go and you can exercise your right to go, but do you consistently find someone who's able to hear that and do that work with you? And that's, yeah. And he, he's the first one I've ever found where it just, the conditions were, were there for it. Right. And we have all these, we have all these ways we can repair and He's also just like extremely forgiving and good natured. So it it doesn't feel like all this like hard resentment stuff builds up between us, which can make, which can make it, you know, challenging. So, Mm -hmm. um, well, this has been lovely and gone in some directions that I don't think either one of us could have expected or planned for. Really enjoyed it, Sarah. Yeah. Any, any last you know, just thinking about the students that are listening and how many of them are really quite young and just sort of starting out in their relationships and, you know, looking for potential partners and curious about commitment and just anything else you would want to add for them or even add to the younger version of yourself, you know, the college age version of yourself that had a long journey ahead of you to get to where you are? Mm, Such a deep, deep question. Um, I think, so when I think about myself, I think I would want to tell myself, stay open, like just the, the realm of love and even sexuality is, is so broad. I think I had some limited ideas around that for students who are starting out. Like, I think, I think relationships are hard and I think they take work. And I think our culture moves really fast right now. And so I think this work requires a lot of, like you said, self-reflection, slowing down and the conditions to be right. So I think it just relationships take a lot of work. And like, I, I think it's, it would be helpful for young people to know that and 
to seek out because we don't get educated about it. We don't get, we don't really get taught about how to cope with conflict or how to work through. Um, so just a lot of compassion if that does feel hard and that there are lots of resources, whether it's counseling or whether lots of good books, there's online resources and things like that. So just normalizing that they're hard and even the good ones are hard too. Absolutely. A lot of work. It's a lot of work. Even if you can find somebody who wants to do it with you and is up for it, it's still a lot of work. It is. Yes. Yeah. But it's also like just thinking about even getting to connect with you today, it feels it's where the goodness is. It's where the richness of life is when we can, because I'm different from you, right? We're different people, but we, we can find that that place where we can meet each other and see each other and hold each other is really, really special. I agree, Sarah. Oh, I feel that as you say that. Thank you. Thank it you. It is very special. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.